Hi, I'm Karen Osborne, and this is Living in the Sandwich Zone, a place where each week we talk all things parenting, caregiving, juggling life, and reclaiming joy. Welcome back to Living in the Sandwich Zone and part two of my conversation with Matt McLean about bipolar disorder. In this segment of our conversation, this is the conversation we just had a, a couple weeks ago, um, we talk more about the importance of reducing the stigma of mental illness and talking about it openly and how important that is to help people understand through sharing our experiences. Matt shares how, in his words, he completely blew up his life during a manic episode before he was even diagnosed. And we talk about how our families have coped with the impact of living with bipolar disorder. And Matt shares one thing he wished he'd done sooner after being diagnosed. We cover everything, the guilt, the shame, and Matt touches on the importance of forgiveness. So, This is part two of my conversation with Matt McLean, touching on all things related to bipolar disorder. I'm actually really happy to be doing this conversation with you now. Is after your month in May of your daily posts on This Is My Bipolar, Mm -hmm. that I think was really impactful for me. Because one of the things I haven't talked about very much, um, or if at all, in my podcast or just kind of in general, is my experience caregiving for my dad who has bipolar disorder. And so hearing you speak so openly and authentically and vulnerably about all the ways having bipolar disorder has impacted your life was really moving to me. And I think it, I think for me, it's a, a really big, important thing to talk about mental illness. Why was it important for you to do that? Uh, I think bipolar disorder, mental illness is, is still has a stigma to it. I think it's gotten a lot better. I think we, uh, it just, we, in the general, we, <laughs> the collective, is doing a better job uh, dealing with mental illness, talking about it. I think I see it more with my kids, you know, because I have a, a 17, a 20, and a 23, and their comfort level with it is a lot different from, mm-hmm. from what mine was, and their, their understanding of it and their knowledge of it. I um, see that part too. Of it, part of it was just to kind of continue that process, and part of it was to... Um, I guess to, to help people understand and whether it's people who might have a loved one who they think might have something, a loved one who is, you know, does have it, maybe they're struggling with something. And again, it's not like I'm not a doctor. I'm not telling yeah. you these are exactly the, right. not trying to diagnose anybody. I just wanted to share my experience of it. One of the interesting things for me in going through that is that I actually ended up that month pretty emotionally exhausted. I can imagine. And, and 
so much so that I, I pulled back a little bit. I took a break from some other things. I, I kind of refilled the cup this summer. I had um, my 20 year old was home for a little while before she went to Ireland for a, for an internship. And then um, my oldest uh, was home, graduated from, from Southern Cal and then was home for a little bit before the job kicked in. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. It was nice to get that. And, and you uh, put always, back on your hockey skates. I had my first game last Sunday. I've got another Woo-hoo! game tonight. All right. First, it was my first, well, first real first game that I've played in at all since probably 2007. Mm-hmm. And then like, yeah, my college, my last season in college was 94, 95. So I'm well beyond my athletic prime, <laughs> but <laughs> I scored a goal in every assist. <laughs> and I was so excited. I was so like, I just bubbling that I called my mom. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Well, that's talk about filling your cup. That's so good. So that's why I tell my kids that fill or spill. What what are your fills? What are your spills? So, so let, let me ask you this. Um, How old were you when you were first dyke? Well, let's go back because something that I learned from listening to you talk about it in your May series this thing about languaging, I think, is really important to me, especially in the realm of mental illness. And you touched on at some point when people, I think, are describing, it's like, oh, he has bipolar or he is bipolar. Talk about that for a minute. I think it, you hear it with other mental illnesses as well. You hear it with depression. Yeah. You hear it with anxiety. You hear it with um, but bipolar is one where, you know, she's being so bipolar or, yeah, he's totally bipolar. And, you know, one, it's one, it's often misused. Mm-hmm. You know, someone's up and down or in a good mood, bad mood that doesn't make them have bipolar disorder. And then it's also um, the other thing is it's defining. Yeah. I'm not bipolar disorder. Someone with anxiety isn't anxiety. Someone with depression isn't depression. Someone with um, any disease. I mean, you wouldn't say someone's cancer. Right, right. Oh, he's carcinoma. Yeah, it's really limiting. She's totally heart disease. It it just doesn't make sense. Um, So, you know, and and along those lines, I don't want to be defined by bipolar yeah and it's not accurate yeah but yeah. i think to, it, it's it minimizes anybody who's who's dealing with something um no Absolutely. one's defined by it and it implies that that's all encompassing that that is all of who you are is mm-hmm. this diagnosis so i i that was something that i felt like and i think it's it's for me the power of words you know, my child has had suicidal ideations and, um, you know, when I, so I'm really keen on what words are being used in describing mm-hmm. those kinds of episodes. And also if someone has ended their life by suicide saying, oh, that person committed suicide, you know, the languaging, the words mm-hmm. of it, the committing, I think for me, especially as a lawyer, I'm like, 
God, it just implies that it's a crime and like they're doing something wrong. And I think yeah. it it just prevents us and puts a barrier up of us being able to see that this is someone suffering and that that act of ending their life was in that moment, the only hope of relief. Mm-hmm. And, and that, uh, that's a distinction that I, um, I probably really even heard the first time. I'm sure it's not the first time I heard it, but it really hit me um, in terms of died by suicide or ended their life by suicide versus committed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I used to practice law too. So I get that. And it, and it really does go back to for years, suicide was criminalized. It was right. Um, and that, that is, it's completely the wrong way to do it. It's like you take someone that's suffering and you're like, well, let's lay out one more thing. You yeah. tried to commit suicide. You tried to commit a burglary. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I know I interrupted my own thought, but mm-hmm. tell me about your journey and at what point you were diagnosed and what were you experiencing leading up to that diagnosis that even led you to seek out help? Yeah. Um, well, the, 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 the answer, I was 41, almost 42 when I was diagnosed. And what happened was I completely blew up my life mm-hmm. and not just my life, but my family. And, and um, I had done a bunch of things during manic periods that were completely out of character for anything I'd done in my life made no sense um you know just the complete detachment with reality also i don't know kind of awkwardly softly done i mean the the big thing was moving money around in a company that that i had started that i Mm -hmm. owned to make my capital call sort of the big thing was yeah company wasn't doing great i had already put in all of my resources but i needed to stay there and i have this thing um a big thing for me was feeling like feeling confident to the level of feeling, um, I just call it Superman, like Superman. Yeah, invincible, bigger. right? Yeah. Right. And, and I really was convinced that I needed to be the one. I was the only one who could save this mm-hmm. company. So I needed to be here. So I needed to do this. So this would be my, you know, capital contribution. So yeah, taking money to put it into a company that's not succeeding. That's what I mean by the disconnect. Yeah. Um, and also not something even remotely like anything I would ever do. And that all came to a head and I, you know, I reported myself and, and went through the whole process with the Office of Lawyer Regulation. And, and so, that was where um, I actually started working with the, um, I actually just told this, I, did, I gave a talk to the Wisconsin Department of Justice mm-hmm. and, about lawyer wellness and I, because I'm also a volunteer with the Wisconsin Lawyers Assistance Program. And I started working with them because I was so just, you know, in this huge tailspin. And, you know, they, they, you go through this process where you have a peer counselor and then you kind of, you can work with uh, the people who are, you know, the, the true licensed counselors. Well, stop for and, a minute and yeah. describe, stop for a minute and describe for what the lawyer assistance program is because I don't think everybody understands what that is. 
Absolutely. And that's a, a great point to make. Um, uh, most states have them. Mm-hmm. And it is it is a program in place where so in Wisconsin, all the licensing stuff happens through uh, the, the Office of Lawyer Regulation, which is actually a branch of the Supreme Court. The office or the um, Wisconsin Lawyers Assistance Program is actually a function of the state bar. So they're two separate entities, but it's protected. Anything you say there is confidential. So there's this level of comfort and you can go there uh, for lawyers dealing with stress, dealing with alcohol abuse or addiction, um, drug abuse or addiction, uh, pretty much anything that a, a lawyer would be dealing with. Uh, there's a separate line for ethics issues, but yeah, but it um, is, but it's it a is. confidential it's, space where people can go and reach out for help and support when they're yeah. struggling and feeling like there's no place else to turn. And what really, what really got me in listening to you, you know, you talked about hidden symptoms and mm-hmm. almost how your career in law almost valued you know, you in a manic state because you were so productive and so go get them and describe how that was. Well, um, have you, uh, have you worked in private practice before? I have not. I've, I've worked for the public defender's office my entire career. And I don't, I don't think there's any wild difference other than, you know, who's, who's benefiting from your services because any setting the more you work, the more creative you are, you know, the more your boss is like you mm-hmm. because you're, you're productive. And at a, in a private practice at a law firm, it's all about the billable hour. How many hours you could build? Right. Uh, how many cases are you handling? And when you can go days and weeks at a time with little or no sleep. And, and on top of it, you don't just not need sleep. You have this that sense of invinci- like invincibility, yeah, buzzing, and then the, the sense of in, invincibility, and then the the, um, the the confidence that comes with that. You know, going into court, and I could argue anything, and I could, uh, I can make, I you know, I could win any case, I could, I could do anything, and you would, and when you're thinking that way, you get pretty creative, and you know, I'm coming up with an argument about the ad valorem property taxation of public utility property and somehow making it relevant to a a case and it worked. So you get this proof. um, And, and so there is that reward. Hey, wow, this guy works hard. This guy just really cranks. And, and it's almost like you're, you are rewarded for it. Yeah. I think that's part of our society. It's like, you know, work, 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 work. It's just, mm -hmm. it's the productivity is valued so much more than the well-being of the worker that I think we as workers tend to not care and cultivate the wellness that we need to actually do the work well. Yeah. And that is not a lawyer exclusive thing by any stretch. You hear people talk about it all the time. Oh, I work 50, 60 hours a week. Like it's a badge of honor. I, um, you know, I sacrificed this so that I could work. There, there is that that ethos, that, that sort of um, hard work is, is something that should be rewarded in and of itself, just sort of the fact that you do it, setting yeah. aside any, any renumer, uh, 
they pay you get for it. Right. So, you know, it, it really is part of um, something that we need to value more. I mean, even if you look at benefits, employee benefits in the United States versus Europe, you know, more time off, more yeah. time for maternity, paternity, and it's just a different mindset where you can, yeah. you're valuing taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And then that, so you would, you would get rewarded. I would see, you know, people would, would hold me up as this great example for how I was doing during manic or hypomanic phases. And then when I would be in my dip and, and depression, I could close my office door. People wouldn't come and bother me or if they did, we just assume either, He's, he's just working. recharging. He's either yeah. burnt out or he's working. Mm-hmm. And I would be in there, you know, staring at the wall. Just, but I was able to get myself in. It was hard some days and I didn't make it in every day, but I was able to. And that was one of the things. And this sounds kind of arrogant <laughs> to say, but, you know, lawyers, you, you don't get into law school if you can't handle things academically if you haven't if you're not at a certain level of capability in in the uh, intellectual arena that also makes it easier to cover right right and i will tell you my dad was a cardiologist you know so same high intensity really brilliant people in the field you know Mm -hmm. i i think that that does I, i don't know if it just camouflages or people just, you know, presume and assume that when you're running at such a high level, that that's just part of your excellence. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the way, the way physicians get trained, you know, law school, they're working so hard. Once they get to the, the second, third year of not law school, med school, once they get to the second, third year, or they get into residency, or they get it, you know, they're working these insane amount of hours and they're working 20 our shifts or more, that's horrible for, for um, mood disorders in particular. Yeah. When you, yeah. anything where you're dysregulated, it, it can trigger things. One of the things you talk about is sleep or lack mm-hmm. of sleep. Um, yes. What were your, you know, prompting events, the triggers that would lead you into a manic episode? Uh, st- really high stress would be mm-hmm. one and then sleep was it was is an interesting thing because it's a trigger and a symptom mm-hmm. so uh, a real high stressful situation could could get you because your your body goes into that fight flight or freeze so your your hormones are hitting and everything's hitting and that can take what might be an okay balance that you have in your in your brain and the way the chemicals are working and tip it. Um, sleep is the same way because your your brain needs that rest when you sleep. And then if you're not getting it, it, it starts throwing things into a bad cycle. And then it sort of keeps feeding on itself because you aren't sleeping. Yeah. 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 And then the other thing for me, one of the triggers, and this came, um, it was actually an assistant district attorney who had mapped everything out and helped me see this. Um, concussions had a big impact on mine because mm. you can see I had um, eight total. I had several playing hockey in, in college and in high school. 
and and it was uh and I don't, I don't know that there's a, a that it like caused the bipolar i think mm-hmm. the bipolar was there or something you know a depression that then got kind of turned on or, or flicked over uh, and there's some studies on that there's a big one in europe talking about you know, what the correlation between head injuries and depression and bipolar mm-hmm. disorder and so you could look and this was it it was mapping it out because i could see a change from one concussion and then and then i had a really bad one beginning of 09 and snowboarding without a helmet so to anyone don't do that particularly when it's your first time the helmet <laughs> yeah. oh <clears throat> And it was like, it was a bad one. It was, yeah. uh, I didn't remember who the president was. I didn't remember we had a dog. I didn't remember that I had stitches from coaching hockey the day before. Wow. So there were all these things. That was great. Cause I'm like, I kept touching it. And my kids are like, stop, you have stitches. I'm like, unibrow, don't be rude. <laughs> <laughs> so did you see after that really major concussion, did you see symptoms exacerbate in terms of your bipolar disorder? Absolutely. So all of the behavior that actually ended up, you know, with me spending time in jail started after that. Like, you know, all the, all the moving things around and the, you know, uh, the, the things that were wrong, that were completely out of character, that didn't make any sense. It was all after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that always really um, hits me is, is I had actually, uh, it, it was in 09, I had contacted the office of, of the, I'm sorry, I had contacted the Wisconsin Lawyers Assistance Program. Because mm-hmm. I could tell something was off or just felt like something was wrong. And I reached out and started having some conversations, uh, but I never followed up. They oh. did. They wow. reached out, they contacted me, they gave me some, started, you know, work with me, working with me to figure things out, but I didn't follow up. And I did that, you know, I don't want people to think I'm crazy. I don't want mm-hmm. what this going to do for me as a lawyer if people find out. And, the you know, the I'm, embarrassment I'm and the shame, I, I think, are a big piece. I think that, um, I, that I think really is why I feel committed to talking about things openly because Mm -hmm. we have to shatter that shame thing. Um, because it really is something out of our control. You know, these diagnoses, we, we don't control them. Yeah. So, and, and so I I look at that and I think this is one of the reasons why I I like to volunteer and why I like to go and I'm on the, um, uh, the Wisconsin, the Governor's Council for Mental Health, uh, and the Criminal Justice Committee subcommittee for that. And it, these things are important to me because one, the earlier you catch it, the better it is for whatever condition you have, because you you you're taking care of it and you you're stopping it from going to worse places. The better it is for hurting your life or, or you know impacting the lives of those around you. And um, it, it, there's just so many, the, the earlier you find out, the better. Yeah. And so that's you know, one of the things that drives me in that area. Well, 
you touch on something that I want to really ask you about, because I think as the child of someone who has bipolar disorder, I have found it to be one of the most challenging aspects of caregiving for my dad, because when my dad gets into a manic episode, first of all, it's exhausting. Not only is he revving like at unbelievable speed and can stay up for days, Mm -hmm. I mean, without any sleep, which means that my mom doesn't get any sleep, which means that we as supporters and caregivers, you know, are on call 24 seven, trying to just keep everything from blowing up. Um, So it's exhausting. But I also think that there are feelings that come in for me, the feelings of frustration. Um, I think that in that state of mania, sometimes things are said that can be very hurtful Mm -hmm. and it's hard not to get mad. It's hard not to be hurt. Um, So I want you to talk about how it has been for you interacting with your family and particularly your kids and, and your wife, you know, talk about that because I think that's a really hard piece of it. I think I know on a rational level that mental illness in whatever form it presents Mm -hmm. is an illness. And so it doesn't make sense for me to get mad or angry, but I also can't deny that those feelings rise up in me and affect how I operate day to day. So what's been your experience with all of that? Um, you know, I think I, I, I try not to compare my experience of it with, with their experience of it. Mm. because I mean, it's, 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 as with anything you, you, we try for empathy. We try to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes and, and it's hard to really get all the way about that. So I don't know what it's like to have your dad come and tell you, Hey, this life we have is going to change. Hey, this, you know, your dad, this person who, you know, was your coach and your friend and the person who was, you know, playing lacrosse with you in the yard or whatever it was. Um, I'm not what you thought I was. Uh, And that's the experience you had with your kids when you told them. Oh yeah. The police might come over. So you guys are going to go down by Aunt Natalie's house and, and, and stay there. And, um, and how old, how old were they? At that time, uh, third, um, sixth, and eighth grade, I think. Mm. Yeah, and and you know, a third grader, sixth grader, what capability do they have to really process that? Um, right. And you know, that's one of the things I, I one of the things I I tell people who are dealing with a mental illness. And I talk to people a lot and I work with people a lot who have received their diagnosis and are sort of cleaning up. Mm-hmm. That's why the podcast is the recombobulated life, because when you're going through it, everything gets discombobulated and then you're trying to, to rebuild. And one of the things is, is to be mindful of the fact that even if you didn't mean to do those things, if it was 
uh, chemical, uh, the way your brain works that, that was making you do things that you would not otherwise do to the outside world, in particular to people who were helping you, but also counting on you. It was you. They saw you doing it. Yeah. They heard those words from you. Um, and to, and to, you know, I think it's my responsibility. I think it's, I think it's the healthiest way to continue rebu- rebuilding your life to honor that. If someone needs to step back from you mm-hmm. because it's too hurtful, because of things that they had to go through, it, it hurts. It, it's painful, but you have to let them take that journey. And it's, and you might get frustrated with it. I mean, I went through that with the criminal justice system. My actions broke the law. Mm-hmm. I would not have done those, but for, yeah, love, but for, <laughs> but for having bipolar disorder. Right. On the one hand, on the other hand, it was me. Right. It was, it was illegal conduct. I clearly knew it wasn't right. So I don't meet the the doubt or the uh, Daubert standard, but um, oh, sh- uh, yeah, it doesn't. Does, yeah, yeah, it doesn't excuse but the doesn't, conduct. Yeah, right. It doesn't reach to that level, and and then when you're going through it, uh, when you're in court, and you're in front of a judge, a judge doesn't want to hear, oh, come on, judge, I have bipolar disorder, you know, just cut me some slack. They want to hear you take responsibility they want to hear that and that comes into play when they're determining your sentence. Yeah. Yeah. And then a well, lot there's... of other things too. And they do factor it in some judges. Some. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the things that needs to happen in criminal justice reform is yeah. to have more of a trauma informed approach as to how mental illness impacts criminal conduct. Because yeah. I think that what, at least what's happened in Los Angeles County is, you know, our jail system has become the biggest mental health housing complex because so many people end up getting funneled into the criminal system when mm-hmm. really mental health is what needs to be addressed. Yeah. So, so um, and, you know, I, we can have a whole separate, whole yeah, separate for sure. podcast on that because there's in Wisconsin, we're experimenting with mental health courts because there's some states have drug courts. Yep. We're, we're doing that too, where you're coming up with alternative treatment right. or, or sentencing or, or ways to handle people that are, are coming into the criminal justice system yeah. with these problems. But in terms of, um, you know, the, the, my experience of this as a father and my experience of this as a husband, um, there's a huge pile of guilt. Mm. Uh, yeah. and th- this is what I was explaining this is how I was talking to the judge about it. when you get diagnosed and you get treated and the, you know the process of getting treated isn't like oh you know it's not even the diagnosis is like here take this test okay yeah you have bipolar it's you know you're looking at a, a whole timeline and, and a whole and trying treatments and they tried me on different medications and right. they weren't sure they tried me on something um, for uh, depression and anxiety. And it sent me in a really bad manic state so much. Yep. As like, 
Because sometimes those medications can have the opposite of the intended effect. And it's a trial and error thing, trying to find the right balance of meds. Yeah. But when you do, Mm -hmm. it's amazing. the, The only way I can really describe it is that it was like, Hmm. Everything like just settled. The noise down. that I didn't know was in there mm. went away. This buzzing, uh, this these running thoughts and these things that were I would talk so fast that I was like tripping over myself. All that went away, and it's just like, ah. And then you turn around and you're like, oh no. <laughs> You see the disaster, the damage and destruction in the wake. Yeah, and and it's and 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 then you have to fight the you know you've got guilt, you have shame. You also have to fight feeling like the victim because mm. you you can you can eat very easily fall into a what was me and why did this happen to me, and um, you know victim thinking like that doesn't help. You could acknowledge that you were the victim of something, but if you sit in it and you just let that, you you sit in this powerless space. And this goes way deeper than that, but yeah, not wallowing in that when you're able to, and and working towards moving away from it and using it to, for other things, that's when you take your power, and that's when you have the power and the strength to do things like address your guilt, address your shame. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things with my shame was, uh, it, it, I'm laughing because it was, it was just a rea- look at my, on my therapist's face when she was talking to me about it. My situation was in the newspaper mm-hmm. a bunch of times, which feels like horrible. And, that's, right. I, and I, that's, that's an area where I really can't imagine what that's like for children or, or a wife who yeah is dealing with that but there's a beautiful part of it when it's you because it's all out there mm. <laughs> you don't have there's to something freeing about it and um yeah so there was something where i was i wanted to try something i was talking to my therapist about it i'm like yeah but i don't want to embarrass myself and she's like, you really can't embarrass yourself anymore <laughs> You maxed out with the articles in the paper. <laughs> you're done. You're like you're fine. Oh. <laughs> There's no. But I think thing. you know it's interesting that you say that because I think that that is, um, that's one of the things that that is helpful for me when I look back on times that were just so 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 bad that I thought I would never get through them, and they mm-hmm. were just so awful, and then here I am now sitting talking to you reflecting back it's like there's it's like seeds and evidence of the resilience like it just reinforces to me that as bad as it is somehow some way you can ride the wave and get to the other side of it you may not know how step by step to tell people you did that but yeah yeah. so I get it I get the you know you were in the paper you didn't die and here you are being of great help to other people now because of that experience. So I, I just think that there's a lot that you are bringing that is 
so helpful and so important and so needed in what you're doing, talking about your experience. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. It's very nice to hear that. Um, I mean, uh, you know, to circle back to what you were with the experience of somebody who sees what they do impacting others, there's just a lot of layers there. And then you feel bad, feeling bad about it. Right. Because you're like, who am I to feel bad? Yeah. Because they went through these other things because of it. And, and they had no, you know, they, they had no control over this happening. Not that you did, but you know, from their standpoint, they're seeing you do it. Yeah. And um, there's not an easy solution to that. It's just, you, you have to, get it out there you have to say it out loud you have to mm. uh, name it to tame it right yeah one of the exercises i did was I, I would write it out and then i would take the paper and i would burn it mm-hmm. just to have that symbolism that that, that a cathartic that, exercise yes that break yeah of, of putting it away and the, the other thing uh, with with forgiveness because that's it you know big thing for me is self-forgiveness and you hear about a lot of the books on forgiveness, a lot of things about forgiveness is you're forgiving other people. You know, you're forgiving this person for doing this, you're forgiving that person. And forgiving yourself is really the most important person you can forgive, but also it's really hard to do because you're not yeah. wired that way. Right. And in other relationships, I can forgive you and I can let you walk away from my life. I'm here. And I'm not going to, you know, so, and, and one of the things that I hear people say is, well, you know, forgiving lets them off the hook. So then if you're forgiving yourself, you're letting yourself off the hook. And I look at it completely differently. I think when you're forgiving somebody else, you're freeing yourself of that, that, that anger or that negativity. When you're forgiving yourself, you're freeing yourself of that and that's the thing you need mm. to be able to rebuild, right. to be able to make amends to the best that you can. So it, it, it's, it's a necessary step to moving on. Yeah, that self-compassion piece. And, you know, you said um, in your series, one of the things that really struck me in talking about the impact on your family and kind of this forgiveness piece is that your kids really worry or worried, I don't know if it's present or past tense, about whether they too would end up with bipolar disorder. And one of the things you said that really, really struck me is that it's not your fault. You have this recognition, it's not my fault that I have bipolar disorder. And it's not my fault if my children have bipolar disorder. And that radical acceptance, I think, is really um, mm-hmm. important because it is not something that you control. You know, we don't select, we don't self-select what we get to experience in life and nor are we responsible for it, you know, but what we do when faced with it is really where the power lies. And that's, that's where I think you're doing magnificent work, Matt. I really do. 
Well, I appreciate that. I mean, one of the things that, that I do, and, and, you know, I think it's going to be something that's constantly on, on their mind. Um, and they've had their own struggles with things. No one, no one's been diagnosed with that. And, and they're all, I mean, my, you know, my kids are blessings and they're doing wonderful things and they're really uh, amazing human beings. Um, uh, but, you know, you wouldn't, if you have cancer in your family and you, your kid gets cancer, it's not, you know, it's not your fault. But the good thing about it with cancer is if you know you're, you're you know, genetically predisposed, you can get checkups more frequently. You can maybe make some lifestyle changes that help. Same thing with a mental health issue. You can watch out for it. Hey, we're going to make sure we're talking to a therapist. We're going to check in with a psychiatrist periodically, get some baseline, uh, you know, screening, if it, as it were, to, to see where you're at and just keep an eye on it. And we're going to talk about the importance of exercise and the importance of you know, just healthy with drinking water and, and mm-hmm. sleep, sleep, sleep. And then you're able to watch for it and help. Yeah. Instead of, you know, you get blasted with it later on because you didn't know. So yeah. there's a good part about knowing too. Yeah. And then the other thing that struck me, you talked about the one thing you wished you'd done differently was getting your kids help sooner to talk mm-hmm. to somebody. Yeah. And I think, um, I, I really do. I think, you know, I think that would have been, um, I, I, I just wish that that was something I would have done. And I, and I, I can forgive myself for it because I was certainly not in a space mentally, you know, I don't think either my wife or I were, you just, this isn't the thing that was in your, right. Um, list of things that you 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 were um thinking could happen but in hindsight and we and it didn't take us that long but that would have been one of those things that if you could have had something we could have something right away we could have put the right language around it we could have um been able to talk about it in ways that didn't because i i I, I didn't talk about it well i didn't Mm -hmm. know the words to say yeah so then i kept things very vague which then let their, you know, let their little minds run with it. Yeah. You know, hey, dad yeah. did something really bad. And, and then they catastrophize in their head. Like, did, did my dad murder someone? Like, they just went there. because yeah. They don't know when you're little, you don't, what's bad, what's really bad. Right. Right. And, well, and, and I think that that is why conversations like this are super important because you in that moment may not have realized the importance of like, or had the wherewithal, because you're just treading water, trying to stay afloat, um, getting a therapist or a support person for your children. But I think now somebody listening is going to have that seed planted, like, okay, if this comes up in my life, that's on the hit list of things to do. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that will help people get support for their kids sooner. And again, I think that that's that's the value of talking about our experiences because we learn often in hindsight, looking back what we wished we had done differently or what we wished we'd had access to in terms of information or support. And, and now the next person who goes through this 
will have this sort of as a resource to draw from. Yeah, well, I, and I think I'm really glad you brought up and thank you for sharing your experience with your father and being a caregiver uh, to somebody with bipolar disorder. Uh, because I also think it's very important to to think about the people, the family, the, the friends who are dealing with it from that standpoint. You know, one, those people and you, you need to take care of yourself and, and have some self-care and some uh, and some self-compassion because you're going to have the, you're angry or you're frustrated and you might need to step away and, 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 you know, give yourself time to heal and clear your head and fill your cup because that's a whole lot of spilling that goes on with that. Um, and I think from the standpoint of somebody who's who, the, you know, the person with bipolar disorder who did these things that were hurtful or put these people through it, to have the, um, the compassion to let them process it and let those, you know, let, and, and sometimes and I, have, I have friendships that, that were lost because they just couldn't deal with it anymore and they had to walk away and, and I could sit and be angry about it. And it's mm-hmm. frustrating because, it's mm-hmm. a, you know, it's that whole fault question again, but, you know, I, I'm going through my experience. I'm going through my challenges they get to go through theirs too yeah so yeah. so to have me sit here bitter and angry at them for not forgiving me or for not forgiving me in the way that I felt like I should be forgiven um it, it doesn't it doesn't do me any good and it and it's not honoring what they went through and what they experienced mm. yeah. but yeah I mean it's, it, it's important if you're in that role of caregiver or family member I mean that's a whole I can't, I haven't experienced it. I can't speak to that from a firsthand knowledge. I can see it from the other perspective. Yeah. Yeah. But I but think I what you say is global, you know, be. when you're talking about self-care, it mm-hmm. distills down to that in so many ways. And, and I think that when you take care of yourself, you're just more able to deal with everything. Mm-hmm. It's like on the plane, you put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I am super, super grateful to have this time with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, let's do it again soon. Sounds good, like my to, friend. I, like, I, I think there's a lot of really important things about the work you're doing and um, anything uh to help continue getting that, that word out. And even, you know, the resources you've put out about getting, negotiating through the mental, the process of getting help for your children. That's so important. And it's one of those things that's incredibly frustrating and is a challenge. And there's so much friction in the system about that. Um, so anything that can be done to make it easier or, um, or more palatable is, is just huge um, yeah, because agreed. it is agreed. And, you know, you'd like, like, just like you, you know, I came to put that out in the world because it was something I didn't have when mm-hmm. I was going through it. So, you know, now it's like reaching back to pull somebody else through to a better place. 
Yeah. Yeah. So excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. Have a fabulous Sunday. Good luck with your game tonight. (sighs) (laughs) Fingies crossed. Fingers (laughs) crossed. No, it's, yeah, the winning doesn't matter. It's just so great to be on the ice again. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's good self-care right there. All right, my friend. Well, thanks for carving out this time. I really, really do appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Living in the Sandwich Zone. If you want to find out more about Matt McLean, you can find him on Instagram at the Matt McLean, and I will include that link in the show notes, as well as you can check him out on his podcast, The Recombobulated Life, and you'll find the link for that in the show notes as well. Hope you have a great week and do something good for yourself. I'm Karen Osborne. Thanks for listening to this episode of Living in the Sandwich Zone. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you like this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Like, subscribe, follow the podcast, and share it with a friend. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, one of the best ways you can support me is rating and reviewing the podcast there. You can follow me on Instagram at karen.e.osborne. That's O-S-B-O-R-N-E. Or if you want to become an insider, a club sandwich member, click the link in the show notes and join my private Facebook group. Until next time, remember to add yourself to your caregiving list and take a moment today and do something that brings you joy.